0: It's good to be here. Uh, Like Annie said, I'm Lindsay. I'm the pastor at Springbrook. Um, We're doing great. Thanks for praying for us and loving us. Um, It's fun. Aaron and I are doing a little switcheroo, which is exciting. Um, I do want to say happy Mother's Day also, if you're here and you're a mom, Um, uh, however you're a mom we are so grateful for you, uh, you your job is not small um, logistically or in the kingdom um, and so we're grateful for you for what you do uh, we love you we see you we're with you um, and then also uh, days like Mother's Day are like confetti for some people and the opposite of confetti for other people and so um, I don't I don't want to go past Mother's Day without saying that if you're here and uh, you have a strained or tricky relationship with your mom, uh, we see you and we love you. And if you're here and you've lost your mom, whether by death or circumstance, uh, we see you and we love you. If you're a mom here and you have lost children, again, by death or circumstance, we see you and we love you. Uh, And if you're here and you are longing to be a mom and that hasn't worked out uh, the way maybe you thought or expected or have even prayed and longed for, uh, we see you and we love you. And we're with you. So um, I told Annie earlier, I just decided that this is Mother's Day, but it's just like Women's Day. So uh, if you're here and you're a woman, boys, you get your day coming up. But uh, happy Women's Day, Mother's Day, however you want to say it. Let's jump in to our scripture. Uh, I do this every time here because when I'm here, I'm missing Springbrook, and so we do this thing where I'm going to read the whole scripture, and then at the end, I'm going to get to this moment where I say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you were good Presbyterians or Anglicans, you would say, thanks be to God, so let's pretend we're good Presbyterians and Anglicans this morning. We can be good Vineyard people and love other people, so you'll say thanks be to God. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Um, also, every time I do this, you guys do way better than Springbrook. And then I go back and I'm like, y'all need to say stuff louder. Maryville's louder. Okay, um, our text today is gonna be out of Colossians 1. If you want to follow along, we're gonna start in verse 15. I'm gonna be real honest. This is, I think, the fourth time I've preached out of Colossians 1 in 2021 because I can't get out of it. Uh, it's just where I am the rest of the year. So if, if I see you again in 2021, which I will, It'll be Colossians 1. Okay, uh, verse 15. Here's why it starts out so strong. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see. And the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and an unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for a few moments together. In um, my experience, your spirit shows up in this room and, um, for me, uncomfortably shifts things in my life and my heart. And so I just uh, pray that you would help us be open to that idea today that we would be open to the idea that your spirit is present with us and that we would be open to the idea that um, you want to shift things and move things and shake things inside us that will make us more free. And so I pray that. I pray that we would have the courage to believe that you long for us to be more human, you long for us to be more free, and uh, you uh, long to put things back together. And so I just pray that in our next few minutes. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so if if you know me, um, and some of you do, um, you would know that I am an art lover, I, I love art, uh, it's important that you also know that I am not an artist, just a nerd. Um, I can't do the art, (laughs) but I can look at it, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, In the fifth grade, uh, my teacher, Mrs. Nichols, um, assigned us all an artist that we had to do a research paper on, and for most people in the class, it was the worst, like, three weeks of their life, but for me, at the risk of sounding like the biggest nerd you know, um, something uh, woke up inside me that is still waking up by doing this, this research project, um, I would like to pretend like it was just a few years ago, but at this point, it was a lot of years ago in the fifth grade, um, and it just keeps waking up, and, and, um, uh, uh, my buddies make fun of me that when I find things I like, then I have, like, a thousand favorites, like, if I'm, like, I'm super into music, and I'll tell you, this is my favorite band, well, this is my, like, actual favorite band, but, but then that one's, like, my other actual favorite band, you know, like, I just have lots of favorites for things, and, and that's true with artists, I have, um, favorites that I love, but, uh, I have two very, very favorites, and uh, one of them is a guy named Jacob Lawrence, and um, has anyone heard of him? Yeah, that was just for fun for me. Um, <laughs> Jacob Lawrence is a Harlem Renaissance painter. He's, uh was from Atlantic City, but moved to New York at the end of the Harlem Renaissance. And, um, and he's super fascinating. And I discovered him uh, through this painting that I am crazy about. Kelsey, will you throw that up there? Okay, this is it. Um, this is called Migration Panel 58. Uh, and, and I think it's perfect. Like I, I love it. I, I love the detailed simplicity of it. I, I love the empowered stance of the girls, both as women and African Americans. I, um, the colors, the textures, the the. Ascending height order. I, I don't know if are they holding numbers? Are they writing numbers? Like I, I just I love it. and And so I got super into this painting, and so then I geeked out and I did some research on it, and I discovered that Jacob Lawrence painted this um, as a commentary on education um, between the north and the south for black kids. and um and so i've I've loved this painting forever. Since I first saw it, i've I've loved it. But last February, Uh, right before the world shut down and I mean literally uh, I I went to New York City with my mom and and some friends and um, and and we flew home and woke up the next morning and the first case of COVID was being reported in New York City so literally right before the world shut down uh, we go to New York City and we went to MoMA the modern museum of art anyone ever been there Okay, Um, it's great. Here's a good travel tip for you as things are opening up. MoMA is free on Friday nights in New York and free is my favorite way to do things. Uh, So it's free. And so we go, and if you've ever been to a free museum, then you know everyone else is there in the world (laughs) like so we go on this friday night and it is it is everyone in manhattan just it's bananas it's it's hard to walk you know like when the covid thing came out the next morning we were like oh we know where we got it a hundred percent we didn't but um i mean it was packed and so that's, that's not, you know, the most fun way to see things. but um, And so what we decided is, is I was like, I'll just show you the highlights. Like, if you'll be patient with me, I kind of knew my way around. So I was like, I'll show you. There are a few things that if you're there, you have to see. Like, um, uh, uh, Starry Starry Night by Van Gogh, if you know that painting. Okay, Starry Starry It's like arguably the most famous painting, definitely by Van Gogh, but but for the Impressionists. And um, it's there. So it's like, you gotta see that. And then Andy Warhol, the uh, Campbell Soup cans, you know what I'm talking about? about uh that's there marilyn monroe is there there's the jackson i mean there's just some things you got to see so i'm like darting in and out of all the people but popping in galleries trying to um to to find the things that everyone needs to see with my friend mary lou she's like my partner and, and then she's gonna holler like come in here go left you know and so uh we pop in and i cut through this little gallery when something catches my eye and it's panel 58 by Jacob Lawrence, a painting that I've loved for decades and have never seen in real life. And I flip out, again, I am the biggest art nerd you know. Um, I flip out. It is, it is my second favorite painting in the world. Um, it's like seeing Scottie Pippen you know like almost the greatest <laughs> at the time or or flea or the edge or like whoever second to whatever you know like i'm so happy i'm seeing this thing i don't know the the whatever your second favorite kardashian is if that's your language I, is that anyone's language here <laughs> praise god so okay so I see it, it's it's this painting and I flip out. And then I have all these realizations in the moment. Like, have you ever seen something that you've only seen in pictures and then you see it in real life and you're like, he's so much shorter in real life or whatever, or taller or whatever, I have these things. Uh, The first one is the painting is tiny. Like it is so much smaller than I imagined. I imagined it this size and it is like my iPad size. It is so tiny. Uh, The second thing I realized is that it's been painted on a wooded panel which is really cool, like um, wood paneling from your house, like with grooves and textures and like a grout line. It's not grout, but you know, whatever ceiling between wood panels in the middle. Um, And then the third thing I realized is it's not alone. It's not alone. Uh, And then the title of the painting finally makes sense. Panel 58 is one of many panels. I take a step back from the wall And I scan and I realize that this painting that I love is sitting in a sea of paintings. That's not me, but that's someone nice. Um, It's sitting in, in a sea of paintings uh uh and, and they are all fascinating, like I'd seen a couple of them before in books or online through uh researching jacob lawrence but i'd I'd never seen them all at once. There are thirty of them in this room. It was beautiful um I found out later there's actually sixty total thirty are here uh the other thirty are at a gallery in d c uh that now I have to go to you know, but then the world shuts down, and I'm left on the edge of my seat but anyway um it's beautiful, it's this sea of paintings, the stories about uh, women and empowerment and the social commentary on segregation and education. Um, and that's, that's, that's what panel 58 is. But when I step back and I see this wide sea of 30 panels, I saw an even bigger story than that. I saw a story about the African-American experience, a story about migration from the South to the North, a, a story about freedom and potential and hope and vision and culture and identity. Uh, it, it, it was beautiful. Like Migration 58 on its own is absolutely beautiful, but 30 stories telling one giant story. The, the story was an even bigger one than I realized it was all, all those years that I'd looked at this one single painting. And so what I want to do, I'm actually going to be here the next two weeks. We're going to, for two weeks, look at the Bible, um, and it's absolutely a two-part, so don't, don't miss next week. Today, we're going to teach a lot, and next week, we're going to say, okay, how does this actually uh, apply to our lives? But um, for the next two weeks, I want to look at the Bible in a really similar way to how I experienced these paintings uh, by Jacob Lawrence. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to um, do this. We're going to take a couple of big steps back, and we're going to look at the wide, Uh, view of things, a super wide view of the scriptures, um, and then look at what can happen in us and through us when we put the whole big wide story uh, together. For some of you, um, this will feel brand new, like you've never heard it before. For others of you, particularly if you've been around here for a while, um, it it will be something that you've heard before, but something, good things are worth revisiting, right? They're worth looking at over and over and over again. So, um, so, Often, uh, when we engage the Bible, when we engage the scriptures, uh, we we do it with like one verse or maybe a chunk of verses, or we take a few steps wider and we and we might read a chapter uh, at a time, something like that, um, or, or maybe like the New Testament or, or the Old Testament. But, but my, my hope today uh, is to do something that we're always trying to do at the vineyard, and that is um, to learn to take enough steps back so that the whole picture starts to come uh, into view, not just a one-verse look or a chunk look or even an Old Testament, New Testament look, but the, the whole thing, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire story of the scriptures. Um, and so we'll just be here like two or three hours, if that's okay with you. Um. What happens when we take uh, a few steps back and the entire Bible comes into view is that we're able to see that there's like a narrative arc to the Bible, that the whole thing tells one big, huge, wide story. Like uh, panel 58, single verses and single chunks, they do tell a story, Um, but... Like the 60 panels, taking a few steps back tells a a, a bigger and wider one. Um, And so I want to talk about the story that we come upon when we engage the entire thing, Uh, all 60 panels, so to speak, or 62 uh, books. Uh, the, The theologians call this a four chapter gospel. Um, it's the meta narrative of Scripture, the story that they're all telling. So, in a very scaled out, simple look, the Bible takes place in four major parts or four chapters. Uh, Kelsey, I think we have a slide for this. Yes, you are so good. Um, uh, here's the four chapter part. Uh, four uh, chapters of the Bible: creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. This is the story that the Bible tells. Creation, that God made everything, and that he said it was good, and that uh, then he uh, empowered people to tend to, and make, and cultivate the things of flourishing in the world. Uh, Chapter two, fall, sin, enters the world through Adam and Eve, shattering the shalom, or uh, the perfect peace of God between us and God, and us and each other, and us and creation, Uh, redemption, God makes a way where there was no way, offering salvation to all through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then chapter four, renewal, the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew all things. Uh, Like the panels Jacob Lawrence created, the scriptures are powerful in parts, uh, but when we put the whole story together, uh, like our text tells us today, Jesus is part of all of it that Jesus from the beginning to the end is is the good thing, the good thread that ties all four pieces uh, together. And so um, whether it's old news to you or new news to you, I wanna spend our our next few minutes looking a little deeper. We'll go part by part and look a little deeper into the stories these uh, parts tell. So first, uh, creation. Uh, Genesis tells us that in the beginning was God and that the Spirit of God hovered over the emptiness of the world. And it also tells us, and this is incredibly important, that all things were made by God, including us. Including us. And our text from today, Colossians 1, tells us that Christ reigns king over everything that's been created, including us. Genesis goes on to say that God uh, created us in his own image, male and female, made in the image of God, and then he blessed us and he commissioned us Uh, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. He put under our care, under the care of humanity, every plant, every tree, every wild animal and bird, everything that's alive, he puts under the care of humanity. Theologians call this the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. It's how the story begins with the commissioning of God to man to cultivate, to tend, to develop, to create. The creator imparts into his created thing the ability to create. From the very first breath of man, God makes it clear that the capacity to cultivate is a God-breathed part of our being human. A God-breathed part of humanity is put in us by God, for God, and for the flourishing of the world. This is incredibly important. The narrative, uh, the, uh, the story arc of the scriptures begins with the intricate and intentional and powerful creation of God. And with that creator commissioning and empowering us, humanity, to be part of all of it to cultivate and to tend and to care for the flourishing of all living things. That's chapter one. Chapter two comes, uh, the fall. It comes a little quicker than probably anyone wanted. Um, The next chapter is is the fall. In the story, a snake offers Eve some fruit and sin enters the world throwing absolutely everything off of its rocker. Uh, Adam and Eve, they're tempted in the garden and they fall. And now the utopian uh, world of peace and shalom that God created that he handed to humans to develop and to tend is all off track. And so are the humans, uh, it's, uh, the scientific word for this is entropy. Uh, are you familiar with this word? Entropy is essentially everything's uh, innate ability out of order, into disorder. That's what happens with the fall. Entropy enters into the world uh, during the fall. What happens is the ability to, uh, for humanity to rightly relate with God and rightly relate with each other and rightly relate with creation starts to fall away and everything feels its effect. That right relating is completely damaged and everything feels its effect. Entropy or darkness enters the world at every level, on a personal level, on a communal level, on a cosmic level, on every single level. Uh, Death becomes a thing. Sadness becomes a thing. Destruction, fear, anxiety, pain, suffering, all of the things that still freedom and shalom uh, ease their way, they enter into the world in this moment. The impact of the fall uh, for humanity is what I just said, it's that ability for us to rightly relate to God, rightly relate to each other, and rightly relate to creation uh, feels is damaged and feels its effect. And that effect ripples out. On a cosmic level, the fall of man darkens the goodness of the world. On a personal level, that darkness separates us from the Father, the one who made us for himself. So thank God for chapter three. It comes on the scene. Chapter three, the greatest news in the entire world, the story of redemption. It's the story of the God who could not leave us in the darkness, Uh, the God who at just the right time comes after us. Uh, The beauty and mystery of the redemption of the cross of Jesus is that it puts into motion uh, making all things right that have lost their way. Our sin and darkness, it separates us from God, but through the cross, redemption is found at every level that the fall was felt. I'm going to say that again. Redemption is found at every level that the fall uh, was felt, Uh, Our sin and darkness, they separate us from God, but through the cross, redemption is found. Uh, Redemption becomes possible communally and personally and cosmically. Uh, Verses 19 and 20 that we read today say, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross, amen. Uh, And then chapter four, which is an incredibly important part of the story and not just part of chapter three, but, but it comes on as chapter four, the final chapter of the Bible's overarching story is the story of renewal. It's the, the, the hope of restoration, the God who, who doesn't um, just send Jesus to the cross to uh, make a way for our sin, but also who sends Jesus to the cross to put things back together. To, to put things back to right, the renewal and the restoration of the goodness and the shalom of the world that it was originally meant to be part of. The story of the scriptures is full of the language of renewal. From Genesis to Revelation, they've all got it of heaven coming to earth, of creation rescued and restored, languages, there's language of wastelands rejoicing, of sorrow turning to mourning, or sorry, sorrow and mourning disappearing, turning into joy, or as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, uh, all of the sad things becoming untrue stolen from Lord of the Rings. All of the sad things were coming untrue. A perfect creation fell into destruction. And since that moment, the God who made it has been working to rescue and reconcile and restore and renew the things that he made. And one day that work of the kingdom uh, will be complete. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. This is the story of the scriptures. And it's, it's our story Creation, fall, redemption, renewal, it's, it's our story. And it's the story that was told for 1,800 years in the church. But in recent church history, um, i.e. the last two uh, centuries or so, the last 200 years, there's been this shift uh, that resulted in a shorter version of the story uh, being told. Uh, What happened over time, um, beginning with the fundamentals and extending into the evangelical world, is that there has been so much focus and so much emphasis on the fall and redemption pieces of the story that creation and renewal have kind of started to fade into the background. And so the widespread story uh, being told became a story about fall and a story about redemption, which are two great stories, just not the whole story. They're just not the whole thing. Uh, uh, In the church, I think we have gotten stuck right in the middle of the story. It's like taking a two-panel view of a much bigger work of art. Good and beautiful, but not the whole story. And uh, though I think we are missing something absolutely crucial, uh, this smaller version of this story, it makes so much sense to me. Uh, because the, the middle two chapters of the story, they're powerful and they're transfer, or, uh, they're, they're exciting, they're, they're absolutely essential. Uh, but to deal with the darkness and the separation from the one who made us, the, uh, uh, the world is too messed up for us not to ask a couple of questions here. A couple of questions uh, in this moment. Um, Redemption is the beautiful and true story of the one who made a way for us where there was no way. And it is through the acknowledgement of brokenness uh, and rescue that we find Jesus, that we find our way home um, from a desire. I I think this is birthed out of a desire and an urgency for people to know Jesus. And, and, And from that desire, we've told a good story of darkness and rescue, a good story of sin and salvation, good things, true things, central things, but we haven't told the whole story for a while. And so a two-chapter gospel of sin and salvation meant uh, that in so much of the evangelical church, half of the story has faded out of focus. It's not that we deny it. We don't deny creation or deny renewal. It's just that we put them in the back seat, like the the way back where my youngest has to sit. (laughs) We, We put them sometimes really far in the background. And that has left so many of us uh, with only half the story. And this matters. It matters so much. Only knowing half the story matters so much. Here's one reason. It matters because our story didn't start with sin. For so many of you, that is the story you heard. And our story doesn't start with sin. I don't know what you grew up hearing, but please hear me today. The beginning of the story is not that you are a busted and broken person. That is undeniably true, no offense, but I know you're kind. <laughs> I know myself. We are undeniably broken and busted. But the beginning of the story is quite crucial to that. Our story begins with us being made in the image of God. Uh, the crown jewel of creation. Our story begins with perfect peace and perfect community with God, with purpose and identity uh, in the thriving and the flourishing of the whole world. That's where the story begins. Our story is one of creation. It's one of dignity. It's one of creativity and empowering as image bearers of the King. And the beginning matters uh, because it informs how we live and how we work and how we show up in the world and how we make things. And this beginning of the story fading into the background has had some real implications on how we view and show up in the world. Where we begin, it matters. And in the same way, how the whole thing ends, it matters too. Our story doesn't end with us being redeemed by Jesus. Redemption is good, good news and do not hear me belittling it in any way. It's just not the end of the story. The story goes on to tell us that as redeemed and as rescued children of a very good God, we get the invitation and commission to join him in his work of renewal. We get purpose spoken into us because of the end of the story to join him as he puts things back together, to join him as he opens the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and makes sadness and mourning become untrue in our world. We need all four four parts of the story because the end of the story whispers back to the beginning of it, back to that initial commission, that initial mandate from God to tend to and to care for and to cultivate the earth and the flourishing of all things. When we only have the middle of the story, then we miss that the story of the scripture starts on earth. And this is also important to hear. It also ends on earth. It ends on earth. We do not exist in this world as Jesus followers to escape the world. We exist in this world to join God in the renewal of it. That is our existence, how the story ends matters. Letting it fade into the background has caused us to have a pretty unbiblical view of how God views the earth and our role in it. Uh, In fact, there are a lot of things impacted by focusing so heavily on half the story. Uh, It's caused us to reduce and narrow the vision of the church. Uh, we have been people who, uh, when we tell a two-part story, we're people who offer a story of conversion when God asks us to offer a story of transformation. That's the view of the, ch- or the vision of the church. Uh, we have offered the world a-, a good explanation for sin and for salvation, but we have not done a very good job at all at offering explanation for things like beauty, an explanation for why three girls painted on a piece of wood could take your breath away even when it's smaller than you thought. Uh, An explanation for why mountains and rivers and oceans and fish scales and tall buildings, Uh, the the way a song or a story or a poem or a meal can seep into your guts and put all of your pieces back together little by little. We haven't offered good explanations for these things. We've not done a very good job offering explanations for things like beauty and music and art and joy and life and ethics and creativity and human flourishing here and now on the earth. We've offered something down the road but we've forgotten that part of our role is offering it now. And this is so unfortunate because the scriptures are full of this stuff. They're full of it. And a kingdom view means seeing all of the panels, all of the parts, all of the chapters. It's telling the whole story. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Uh, the, The vision statement for our church is joining God in the renewal of all things. This is why. This is why, because as a church, we're committed to telling the full story. The story that C.S. Lewis says, where every chapter is better than the one before. That's our story. Okay, pause. We'll pick up the rest next week. (laughs) You gotta come back. It gets better. The chapter gets better. Um, but I do want to pause here. And we do this every week. And it matters every week. But then there's some weeks that it's like, oh, my goodness, I need a breath. And this week, I need a breath. And I think you might need a breath. So uh, "laws" is a word we stole from the Psalms. It just means a quiet breath or a quiet pause, not move on too quickly um, from what you just were a part of. And so we're just going to, David's going to come up, and we're going to take a breath in this moment. Um uh, and, and here's what I want us to do. I'm not going to direct your time too much. Uh, we're just going to sit in the quiet and I hope that you'll think, what is this, what is this big story? How does it impact you personally? Um, what is the impact maybe for our church or community? Um, yeah, I'm just going to bless what the Holy Spirit's do. i trust that the Holy Spirit's working in us. And so I'm just going to bless what he's doing and we'll just sit here for just a moment. Uh, So, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. At the beginning of this, I prayed for the courage to see you at work. And so I I, I say that again. Will you give us the courage to see you at work in our lives? Will you give us um, the courage to take a couple of steps back, not just on the Bible, but in our own lives, in our own world? And will you give us eyes to see how uh, maybe telling a smaller story has impacted us? has impacted the way we show up in the world, impacted how we view ourselves and how we think you see us. In your name we pray.